hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Let's catch up on what's happening in the markets. Stocks made a new run at all-time highs last week. Both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ were up about a half a percent, but the Dow fell again. That's four out of five weeks now that it's fallen. It seems to me that the market was cheering the phase one deal with China and breathing a big sigh of relief on the better-than-expected bank earnings. I have to say, doesn't sound like a real deal to me or a real deal as we initially wanted. Wanted that address things like intellectual property. It's more like a trade truce. We're going to take a break from whacking each other over the head for a while. Larry Kudlow, who's the director of the National Economic Council, he had a good analogy. I guess he's a Giants fan, but he said it's like them having the ball on the seven yard line and never being able to get the ball into the end zone. He said when you get down to that last 10%, well, it gets tough. Keep in mind that there are some steep tariffs in place, and the odds are pretty high that there's some real damage already done in the global economy, and it could be months before we see a pickup on that front. If you've listened over the last few weeks, I've said that I think that we're in this wide trading range that started back in May or June, and the upside is about 30-20 on the S&P 500, with the low end being about 2,800-2,850. Well, folks, we're getting close to that upper limit of 30-20, and this will be the third time that we test it. So that's something we certainly want to keep our eye on. As I had mentioned, this ongoing trade battle has taken its toll on the global economy. As a matter of fact, the IMF downgraded their 2019 estimates, but they also said that next year they expect it to grow at 3.5% and that they don't see an imminent recession. The markets are a forward-looking beast. They're trying to anticipate what's going to happen in the future. And that's why you're seeing equity markets in Germany, France, Italy, Japan. They're all hitting 52-week highs. The fact that the global markets are making new highs versus new lows Got to be good for the U.S., right? I'm sticking with what I've been saying. The key is the U.S. consumer. That's what we want to watch. As long as we have a healthy labor market, wages keep growing, and the consumer doesn't get scared off by politics or trade or, or both, we should be able to muddle our way through. I think the easy money's already been made, though. Okay, let's move on because we have a ton of earnings reports that came out and I'm going to talk about Social Security here in just a minute. When I recorded the show last week, the big banks, the big four, as I call them, had just reported. And some were good, like JP Morgan. Some weren't as good, like Goldman Sachs. Since then, one of my favorite banks, U.S. Bank Corps, symbol USB, reported. And here's what the chairman and CEO and president had to say on the earnings call. Quote, despite a challenging interest rate environment, we posted record revenue, net income, and earnings per share in the third quarter, delivered industry-leading return on assets and equities, and grew our book value by over 10% from a year earlier. Sounds like a mic drop to me. As you would expect, 
the stock, well, as you would expect, the stock and the sector, to be fair, have both been strong here lately. I would encourage you to do some research, do some digging on USB to see if it might be right for you. I'd be a buyer down around 52. What else? Uh, Oh, I came out of a client meeting the other day and I walked by the TV. We have on either Bloomberg or CNBC. And if you watch this stuff at home all day long, I encourage you to turn down the sound because you just don't want to get sent down the wrong path. Anyhow, I walked by and I heard someone talking about AT&T, symbol T, and how the telcos have been on fire here. They, whoever it was, made them sound as if they were the next great growth story. And that you just had to get on the bandwagon or you were going to get left behind. And it got me thinking. And I wanted to clarify my thoughts on AT&T because I've talked about it in the past. In my opinion, it's a fine company. Not the greatest. There are a lot of things I like about it. And there are a lot of things that I don't like about them. Number one on that list would be their direct TV business. Don't like that. Anyhow, it's a fine company, but it's not a growth story. Not at this point. They're a phone company, and we all have a good idea of what that business is. They're probably going to grow in low single digits and that they're going to have to constantly spend money upgrading their network because you and I demand it. We demand faster speeds. So you have a low growth business and high spending requirements. What AT&T does do is generate free cash flow, and out of that, they pay a really good dividend. Right now, it's less than five and a half percent, and I'd prefer to buy it when it's yielding more than six percent. But that's why I bought it for the dividend. Think about it this way. As a hypothetical, if your financial plan calls for your investments to grow at, I don't know, six or seven percent and you can buy something that's paying you six percent. Well, why wouldn't you? Your bet is that over time, the stock doesn't go down. That's probably not a bad bet for something like AT&T. And they've increased that dividend for 34 consecutive years. That's why I bought it, for the dividend and the very modest growth over time. Let's change directions here. I've been doing several speaking engagements on financial planning and investing over the last couple of weeks. And part of the discussion was on Social Security. And I've come away from those talks thinking, you know, there are some basic misperceptions about the whole thing. So I thought I'd spend a couple minutes on it here today. Some of the people that I talked to were just planning on claiming Social Security when they turn 62 because, well, that's when they can start getting their benefits. That's true. You can start claiming when you're 62, but that's not what they call full retirement age. And there's a big difference here. Now, before we get too far into this, let me say that there is no one answer for when someone should start claiming Social Security. And that's why having a plan is so important. I know life is busy and it's one of those things that are on your to-do list, but it's really, really important. If you need some help putting one together, well, give us a call. The number is 301-770-5234. Once again, 301-770-5234. When we used to, well, we used to get these things in the mail from Social Security, the Social Security Administration. Once a year, they'd mail us our breakdowns on how much we put in and what our projected benefits would be in the future. And they don't do that anymore. No more paper. They're saving trees. Now you have to go to their website, which is www. 
SSA.gov. Once again, it's www. We all know that. SSA.gov. And you have to create an account to find out what your expended, uh, expected benefits are going to be. Let's get back to this. You can start claiming when you're 62, but your full retirement age is going to depend on when you were born. For most people, it's between 66 and 67. If you were born after 1960, well, it's 67. So the, for, for the sake of our discussion today, let's just go with 66. That's when you would get your full retirement benefit. If you walk in on your 62nd birthday and you start claiming, well, you're going to get a reduced benefit. According to Social Security, it's reduced by 6.7% a year. Now, that's a big number. And nothing says that you have to start claiming at 62 or even at 66 or 67, whatever your full retirement age is. If you can wait until you're 70, that's the max age. If you can wait until you're 70, they'll increase your benefit by 8% a year. That's another big number. So you have that 66, 67 is your full full benefit. If you take it before, then it gets reduced. If you take it after that, then they increase it. Let me put some hypothetical numbers on this. It might be tough to follow, but let me give it a crack. If you assume that at age 66, your benefit is $2,000 a month or $24,000 a year. Again, this is just a hypothetical. You get $24,000 a year. But if you claim early at 62, they would reduce that benefit to $18,000 a year. That's $6,000 less for claiming early. If you can afford to wait and put it off until you're 70, that $24,000 benefit would increase to $31,680, more than $7,500 more. And look at the wide range here. $24,000 if you go early and $31,500 or more if you go to the max. That's a 76% increase. So the question is, is when do you claim? Again, there's no one answer. It's going to depend on a lot of things, like how much you've saved for retirement along the way, health factors, longevity. When we do plans for our clients, we work together on the assumptions and do the calculations, but there is some element of guessing involved. According to Social Security, 62% of men and 68% of women claimed reduced early benefits, and only 5%, 5.2% of men and 4.5% of women claim late with increased benefits. My point is, Find out what's right for you. And the way you do that is by having a plan and doing the research. Again, if we can help, let us know. Well, we're out of time for today. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This has been Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. You've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, 
They're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.